Welcome to our Harvard Macy Institute podcast. Connecting our Harvard Macy community and discussing health professions, education topics and literature. So assessment, a word that strikes fear into the hearts of students and faculty alike. Uh, important topic and one that we're keen to explore on today's Harvard Macy Institute podcast. I'm Victoria Brazel and I'm going to be your host today talking about a interesting article with an expert, Lou Pangaro. Many of those in medical education will know Lou Pangaro. He's a professor and chair of the Department of Medicine at the Uniformed Services University in Bethesda, Maryland. And just a short little editorial note here and disclaimer that uh, Dr. Pangara's opinions are his own and don't represent those of the Uniformed Services, University of the Health Sciences or the Department of Defence. Uh, he's a board certified internist and also in endocrinology and metabolism. And his scholarly work has really been a lot about assessment, including the famous RHYME scheme that we might discuss later on in the podcast. How are you, Lou? I'm fine, Victoria. Thanks very much. Excellent. Well, just uh, as our listeners know, uh, we feature an article that's related to one of our courses and obviously the March 2020 systems approach to assessment in the health professions is coming up in Boston. And we're going to feature a paper that's in one of the journal club sessions for that course. And this is a paper titled, What's Next? Developing Systems of Assessment for Educational Settings. And this is a commentary by John Norsini in uh, last July's Academic Medicine. So just by way of background to this paper, uh, it's a short piece and it really sort of starts by highlighting that often our discussions about assessment are dominated by methods and techniques and sometimes with reference to underpinning theories. But John really then sets the scene for systems of assessment, um, discusses ideas about programmatic assessment that have arisen from uh, other authors as well. And then he outlines four areas that he thinks are ripe for further discussion, things related to summative assessment, things related to formative assessment, thinking about assessment beyond the individual, and finally, thinking about this concept of complex adaptive systems and assessment. So we're going to explore that today. So Lou, can I ask you to give us your sense of why Dr. Norsini's written this paper, something about uh, the sort of background to where we start on this. Throughout the world, there is a growing sense that medical education has to support healthcare systems and meet the needs of populations, and therefore that the educational process, including curriculum and evaluation of medical students, is not simply ad hoc for each medical school. And John's paper fits in that general category of accountability. How do we know that the medical education process, that either for medical students or for residents, registrars in graduate medical education, that's our American term, are, are meeting the needs of society? So there have been great movements in the last 20 years for uh, making the the process of determining readiness for independent practice, competence, whatever you want to call it, uh, much more accountable and publicly accountable. This has placed uh, an emphasis on what is now called competency-based education, in which the actual definition of competence is not what's critical, 
but the notion that there is some standard of competence which is publicly defensible and publicly met. It's become apparent that you can't just take the observations of individual teachers or the performance on multiple choice tests. Okay, so you've really focused us here on accountability and what the public is demanding of us. You're saying clearly the so-called old concepts like assessment and reliability of individual strategies for undertaking these assessments is, is a good thing. But you're saying, and I think Dr. Nassini's saying, that we need to think about how these strategies are interconnected. Yes, certainly. And, and John uses the word system. And the general sense of that word system, and certainly in our Harvard Macy course, is meant to be a, a process which achieves something that cannot be achieved by the individual parts. Uh, it's probably worthwhile uh, just for our listeners of distinguishing this from a program of assessment in which you have a multidimensional approach to assessing competence. Uh, you have a, a framework based on, say, knowledge, skills, or attitude. It's not sufficient to have multiple dimensions, each measured by multiple methods. That would be a comprehensive program of assessment, but a true system of assessment deals with a multi-level structure on how the gathering of assessments, whether formative or summative, are supported, resourced by the institution, how the flow of information um, from one part of the curriculum early to late or horizontally from um, medicine to surgery to pediatrics to the emergency department, how information flows and how that is supported and resourced by the information. Yeah, and this is uh, interesting. So this is a call for, as you say, across the continuum of medical learning or indeed other health professions learning uh, and also across the breadth of domains that we're talking about. Uh, and I guess one of the barriers inherent in this kind of description is these are often different people and different institutions who are responsible for some of this work and they don't do the sharing. I've heard you use the word sharing a couple yes, of times. Yes, that's exactly right. And uh, so far, a lot has been accomplished through regulation, through the strong forces telling medical schools, at least here in the States, and uh, graduate medical education programs what they must do. Uh, it takes a lot longer to change cultures in getting individual faculty members across many hospitals, many institutions, many departments on the same page. So why don't we turn our uh, attention now to these four areas that Dr. Norsini says need work. And the first of those is summative assessment, which in many ways is almost the easiest conceptually because this is what a lot of people think of when they think about tests and assessments and assessment of learning. And yet, you know, despite advances in the field, we're still seeing a lot of this kind of work that's uh, dominated by recall. And this is in an era when you can pretty much find anything on your phone. Uh, what do you think should happen in uh, summative assessment, Lou? How much assessment, again, he means measurement, is really needed? We don't fully know the answer to this question. This will take a lot of research to answer. And the question should be, how much is enough? How much is too much? Is economy of action in uh, assessing the readiness of residents for independent practice something that's high stakes? Is, that, is economy of action as important in medical education as it is in patient care? 
And we certainly know in patient care, if you use too many antibiotics that aren't necessary, there are problems. If you use an MRI, a CT scan, and an ultrasound, and maybe a nuclear medicine study to look for a parathyroid adenoma in the neck, a certain amount of that is overkill. So I think John's call for paying it attention. Yes, and I think your analogy is quite good there uh, because, in fact, the danger of having more information is that it can sometimes confuse clear signals. Uh, and I think it really sharply puts the focus on about the system's concept, and that's quite different to just saying we've got a very reliable assessment tool, which is obviously related to the sampling and the number of assessments, versus we have got a valid assessment process that Dove has has all these uh, integrated parts to it. Is that, uh, am I on the money here? Yes, yes, we're, we're totally in agreement. And the difficulty with that is that those tests are often, uh, those quantified measurements, they're very expensive and they can't be used in a formative day-to-day way. Uh, much of my own work has focused on what uh, we call descriptive assessment. We don't like the word subjective. Yeah, and this is probably uh, a nice segue into thinking about uh, John's next uh, topic, which is formative assessment. One of the opportunities for reducing that summative assessment is to have much richer and more effective and better contributing forms of formative assessment. Most clinicians who are the teachers who evaluate the student's performance in the clinical setting um, don't think in terms of numbers or just in terms of scales. And there's abundant literature over decades showing when you give somebody uh, a 15-item checklist, they tend to uh, write a line down the form, what we call whipping the form. And there's also multiple studies that show when you have a checklist of 15 items, if you use factor analysis or some statistical method, it collapses to basically two ideas, duty and expertise. And uh, I'm not objecting to the multiple forms, uh, multiple lists on the forms, because they give you, they give the teacher, the observer, an idea what duty looks like for a medical student or an emergency medicine resident and what expertise looks like. But we shouldn't pretend that we're actually um, look, assessing, evaluating, observing different things. It all tends to reduce to the um, to the terminology, and I'm using the language here of the ethicist Edmund Pellegrino, who spoke of professionalism as a promise of duty and a promise of expertise. I believe strongly that the formative assessment should, should prepare the student for the summative assessment, and that you should not evaluate summatively on criteria that the student hasn't become familiar with formatively. I feel very strongly about that. And John raises the question, what what are the effects? I believe that is the word that he uses. What are the effects if you um of using the same assessment for formative and summative? John is is a very honest analytic scientific mind. So he didn't say what are the benefits or risks? He uses a neutral term. And there are both benefits and risks. Uh, either way. And I think that was one of his points is that we don't really know the answer to that yet. Yeah. So I think you're outlining many of the reasons why we've had this uh, marvelous theory about workplace-based assessment, but very sort of patchy success around the place. And I think you're saying that 
the faculty development needs to be a big part of this, but also really thinking how our formative and summative uh, assessments related to each other and uh, just trying to get a two for one is probably going to not get you even the one that you had hoped you get. Yes, I agree. You're listening to the Harvard Macy Institute podcast. All right, well, let's turn our attention now to perhaps even the more uh, challenging topics in the last couple that Dr. Norsini talks about. And the first is about assessment beyond the individual. Uh, and he makes the point in the commentary that, you know, traditionally the individual learner has been the object of assessment. But now he's suggesting to us that an integrated system of assessment would, encourage, would encompass other targets, including the curriculum, the faculty, uh, the effectiveness of educational interventions, uh, including things like the team, which is my own interest area. Uh, and yet this concept of assessing beyond an individual is clearly both technically a lot more difficult in terms of our conceptualization of valid and reliable assessments and also really hard to do. And I've certainly thought myself a lot about collective competence, uh, to use Laurie Lingard's word, as a nice idea. But how do you assess a team in a meaningful way? So uh, tell me your thoughts, because I found this third point really quite challenging. Uh, well, I agree that it is a major question. And if we use the word assessment of systems to mean asking whether or not the system of education is achieving something that cannot be achieved uh, by the separate parts, by medicine alone, surgery alone, or emergency medicine alone, and and I want to talk about, because this is something that we work on a lot within the Harvard Macy course, and my own, my own interest is in this. Um, let's imagine you have multiple teachers across multiple departments, medicine, surgery, emergency medicine, psychiatry, not just in one hospital, but in many hospitals. Now, how do you get everybody on the same page? How do you calibrate the teachers, so that not only does formative anticipate summative, but the formative and the summative are always calibrated so there's inter-teacher, interdepartmental agreement. And this is what I think John is talking about. So this means now that the chair of medicine is responsible for providing faculty with the time to do this. The chair of medicine or the clerkship director or the vice chair for education is responsible for knowing what, what is the attendance rate. If you're having these conferences where you sit and you talk to an intern or resident attending about a medical student, or you're talking to the resident and the chief resident and the attending about a resident, what's the attendance rate? You have to monitor these process things. And that's what I think John is getting after when you have to say you're not just observe, making observations about the student. You're making observations about the observers of the student and the whole system. Yeah, and making observations about the process. And so your target for the assessment becomes partly around really rigorously looking at the quality of the process as well as the output itself. Is that right? Yes, yeah. The question you raised about teams is very interesting to me. I was actually on a national board, uh, the National Board of Medical Examiners. I was on the board for eight years, and we were trying to come up with an assessment for how uh, how you could identify in a note the contributions of the student versus the team. How could you identify the contribution of the 
student's function to the functioning of the team, when obviously that depends too on leadership. And I like Lorelei's idea that you might even want to forget about assessing the individual student and just assess the team. And that, to me, can work at the level of GME, residencies and fellowships. You know, medical students come and go, so it is a little bit harder to to say, I only care how the student functions as part of the team. You're listening to the Harvard Macy Institute podcast. So I have to admit, I really wanted to drill down on this idea about how do we assess teams and arguably team working. So I asked a colleague of mine, Professor Sharon Micken, who is the Professor of Healthcare Innovations at Bond University on the Gold Coast, Australia, if she could tell us a little bit about some of her PhD work about how we went about assessing teams. There are, we all know that there are some teams that work really well and others that don't. And I think the, the, that's where I started my PhD, was trying to understand why the ones that don't, don't work well. Um, but I guess it comes down to what I was able to find is some, some core processes around teamwork that are important for them to be explicit and agreed within the team. And I think there's two ways of looking at, at assessing teams. One is assessing those processes and getting some kind of awareness of how they do or don't work in teams. And I think the other way is a kind of a team awareness because I my, my experience um, supports that teams do know where their strengths and weaknesses lie, but often it's not safe to talk about that and, or even identify it. And so in situations where I did have a reasonable agree, agreement and amount of psychological safety, I was able to get quite high levels of agreement between individual team members about their self-assessment of their team. Right. So it's almost like the best teams are the ones who know how to get better. Exactly. So, and that might even be a measure in itself. Yeah. Yeah. And you're touched on concepts like psychological safety. Again, Amy Edmondson has written a lot about that recently. Uh, and I guess that sort of calls for teamwork measures at a bit of a meta level, which is uh, ask them what we should be measuring. I think so. Because even in my, my experience then of trying to find these good teams as the beginning of my PhD, um, I, I think the issue of a good team is not a static concept. Um, some teams are good in some things and not so good in others. And if you have a really great team, within the next week someone will leave and it will all change. Yeah, very dynamic. So our teams, our healthcare teams are dynamic. Mm. And so I think it's very difficult to get any static um, comparators but maybe it's about looking at some process measures in the team or some ways of actually asking teams to identify mm. what they would like to work on or what they would like to assess. All right. And then maybe it's worth us really thinking about the connection between our assessment of individual competence uh, and thinking about the team performance Uh we have a lot of ad hoc teams in healthcare. So I guess there is some individual competence in team working that perhaps is easier to measure than the team itself. Yeah. And maybe some of those communication concepts, um, the ability to identify a team's goal and purpose and the ability to provide um, reasonable feedback to team members, some of those might be competencies of team working mm. that we could start to elucidate and address at an individual level. Uh, well, why don't we then turn our attention to the last 
of the four issues that Dr. Norsini mentions. And and I'm going to read out his sentence here. Finally, assessment is an essential part of the training and feedback mechanisms in the complex adaptive system of medical education. And a little bit of jargon alert there. Everything's a complex adaptive system these days. But uh, if I read his paragraph, subsequent paragraph correctly, it, it says that really we need to think broadly about uh, how are things interrelated. Can we get data and information about assessment from the system itself, including the health service that might be useful here. So, uh, yeah, what do you think about this um, interface? Well, as, as always, John is usually a decade ahead of me and probably a lot of other people too in his thinking. How does the medical education system adopt to local public needs? If we could begin from the initial premise that we serve the needs of the public, um, and that while some things, can you talk to a patient with respect and privacy? Can you characterize a chief complaint? Can you come up with a differential? Those things have always been true and will be. Some of the content of what we deal with um, changes. So does the medical school itself show how it is adapting to the needs of the public? So what I think John is saying here, if you have a complex adaptive system, you have to say, is the medical school curriculum adequate to the year 2030 or to year 2040? But these changes, not just in content, but in how medicine and practice, uh, because the future is unknown, is where I think John's prescient question takes us. So I put this same question to Martin Pusick, another member of our Harvard Macy community. Martin is a pediatric emergency physician on faculty at the Boston Children's Hospital and until recently the director of the Division of Learning Analytics at NYU. So well placed to talk about this topic. So the first question that I put to Martin was, how should does he think we should think differently or indeed the same about assessment in these complex adaptive systems? I think the hallmark of complex adaptive systems is that they're self-organizing. Think of the internet and the way it assesses what a good site is. There are individual little assessments that get weighed, uh, aggregated, and networked until they add up to something. In, in his note, Dr. Narsini writes of the complex adaptive system of medical education. I would think that medical education will only be a micelle within the larger complex adaptive system of healthcare, and that's what we're going to need to worry about in our assessment systems. So I then asked him what he thought about whether this new way of thinking about assessment is at the interface of education and quality improvement. That is to say, is assessing performance really now about the outcomes at the service delivery level? That's really what I mean by a larger complex adaptive system. Edges and interfaces are going to be much grayer, sort of feathered between our systems. There's not going to be a sharp boundary from one to the other. And so some assessments um, are going to continue to be very intrusive, expensive, um, but reliable and valid. You know, think of the USMLE step 
nine or something like that. But there are going to be more and more assessments, I think, that will be made up of small, inexpensive, unobtrusive, Yelp-like signals that add up to something that can be aggregated until we have enough of them to mean something. And I think that, the, for example, the patient-reported outcomes movement is going to have a lot to say about medical education assessment, ultimately. So this patient-centered issue is probably one that assessment hasn't been strong on in the past. But I wanted to stick with the process here for a minute. So I further asked Martin, is this what uh, is meant by big data in action? Yes. Uh, what big data means is um, that it's voluminous. It moves at the speed of electrons and is verifiable in that it um, leaves an audit trail. And it's available to the new computer algorithms, including artificial intelligence. It's that big data that can keep up with the complex, increasing complexity of our healthcare system if we design it well. So plenty for us to think about there. And I asked Martin finally if he had any other comments. Done right, I think these new complex adaptive assessments will complement what we've already learned so far about assessment. It's not that we're going to throw out the old methods. We're just going to find a different emphasis for them. In that way, I don't think this is an or thing, new versus old, rather an and thing. And, and in this way, I think we'll be able to keep up with the changing nature of being a clinician, less about routine and more about adaptive expertise. And that'll be a good thing. Well, Lou, this has been a fascinating conversation and I think triggered nicely by some really I guess, as you say, next level thoughts from uh, John Norsini in his paper that we've been discussing, uh, What's Next? So uh, can I thank you very much for your time here now? And uh, I'm just going to see if there's any other sort of final thoughts you had or calls to action for our Harvard Macy listeners. Uh, just that they are the instruments of change. They're the ones who take the ideas from different places. That's what the Harvard a lot of what Liz Armstrong has done at Harvard Macy over the years, take ideas from the business school, from uh, IT, from engineering, put it together with uh, med medical education ideas and create new ways of looking at things. And the people who go to the Harvard Macy course or uh, who go to the international meetings, they are the agents of change. Um, they have to have the confidence that although it is a slow process, it does eventually change practice. So we've been talking about John Norsini's article in Academic Medicine last year titled What's Next? Developing Systems of Assessment for Educational Settings. I'm Victoria Brazel, signing off for the Harvard Macy Institute podcast. <laughs>